So the wrath part of it, which is obviously indicative of a temper that is expressing itself consequentially, there's going to be there's going to be pain and suffering. Wrath usually has with it a phrase indignant. It is intended for um, punitive measures. God has a perfect wrath that will be and is reserved at this point in time, and it will be a judgment against the Christ-rejecting world. He's entitled to do that, and his nature and attributes require that there is a judgment that for now is suspended in a time that we appreciate as grace. And grace is to be something that even our words are to be seasoned with. And so count on it. There's going to be an event that we will be invited into somewhere in our day in which you least expect it. You're going to be expected to have a standard of demeanor that passes this test of temperament. A soft answer turns away wrath. Now that doesn't mean necessarily below volume. In other words, that can be a provocation too. Have you ever run into that? I can't hear you. <laughs> In which somebody then assumes because you're not talking loud enough, you're disrespecting them or you're muttering. I like that there was a redo of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Do I have that right? Is that right? I'm, I'm, it's Willy Wonka, but isn't it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Okay, okay. And so the new version, his phrase was when he ran into kids was, you're muttering, you're muttering. I don't understand what you're saying at all. You're muttering. And it's kind of funny because if someone's speaking too fast and too soft, it sounds as if it's muttering and it can provoke a whole different kind of attitude. I'm getting to the point where we'll move also off first one very shortly. But we have a sound bar now that's a part of our TV that we rarely use, but when we use it, we now have a sound bar. And attached to the sound bar is a subwoofer. Those frequencies are completely out of my realm of appreciation. I'm just kind of a mid-range, high-end kind of guy. Whenever I hear subs, I think of low cars and mean people. Or guys that have intentionally cut their muffler off and they're just trying to provoke me. I don't know what power play they think they have over a mini caravan or a Honda, but I assure you, they do not threaten me. They just anger me. And so one of the things that I've discovered is that when I'm in that realm auditorily in which it's both sub and heavy mid-range, I don't hear what it is that I want to hear. And lately I've been, I've been tested. Now I'm not maniacal. I've just been tested. Lord, I don't, I don't know what adjustment I need to make, but it's interesting because half the house, no, it's the majority of the household, they're, yeah, woo, hear that jet. That's all I can hear. Is that what that was, a jet? Whatever it may be, but the subwoofer and the mid-range, my ears are changing now, 
And so I don't necessarily appreciate it. What I'm learning to do is say, Lord, help me come to terms that, that for both of us we're happy with. And so we're learning actually terms right now. It's still highly subbed, mid-ranged, but I have asked for a little trouble in my life. And so it's working. I'm getting just a little bit trouble now. And it's working for me. My soul is being restored. So if that is something that, for instance, is my challenge, then I need to either pursue diplomatic, if you would, bargaining, or I need to say, Lord, help me then. If this is intended to, if you would provoke me to appreciate what it is I don't have, which is a range of hearing that others do, what can I do to both live peaceably and appreciate what for them is joy? It is honestly joy. The sub-range and mid-range is ecstatic joy for them. It's hard for me. Lord, what is it that I can do? I can broker diplomatically. There's nothing wrong with that. It's if I come to wrath over it, there's something wrong with that. It's if I then say, listen, there's one standard and it's mine. I'm not saying I don't have that authority. I'm saying that the Lord would probably be asking me to submit to him as my higher authority and to also be able to facilitate the joy of those whom I both lead and love. It's a little bit off balance, you would say, because one of us is going to have a majority of the joy. The other is going to have, if you would, I think, a majority of the resignation. That, in this scenario, is me. The Lord would require me to have a resignation. But I have, interestingly enough, found that as they're learning to dial this in, because I have not gone to wrath, they have gone to broker more strongly peace. In other words, the decibels and the EQing. It's interesting. That's what's happening. Almost as if we're in a studio situation. But I'm clearly the one that has changed in my hearing. And for me, it's one of those things that now, guess who I appreciate? I'll tell you, I appreciate those who are wearing hearing aids now. Because I understand in my dilemma, which may mean I'm probably very soon to getting hearing aids, I appreciate what they have to go through because they're continually having to deal with sound. I had a request on Sunday if we could do something for the hearing impaired that would allow them to hear more clearly. And I'm going, what is it these 802s aren't accomplishing in your life? <laughs> Those are the speakers, by the way. Well, see, it's fine for me and what I know that I'm trying to achieve musically, but on the voicing, there's something that I am now challenged to be able to make necessary for them. Totally willing to move in that area right now. Why? Because I appreciate hearing their need when in fact it's reflective of the need that I've gone through in the home. Same concept. In my home, there are certain things that should adjust for me, can't right now, but we're working on it. In the same context, this is great for me, surround to sound. But for those who have 
audio challenges with certain frequencies, not so good for them. This microphone is somewhat of a straight mic. Not that you're interested, I'm just going to share with you. These two lead microphones are, you can hear very definitively if they're talking, it in almost an echo chamber or cave. That's called reverb. Probably three-fourths of the people in worship appreciate that reverberating sound. That's great. That's a harder sound for me when I'm trying to listen. Hello, 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 hello. It sounds like Swiss Miss to me, you know. But we have it tailored to where for the musician, it has a blend. So let's move forward on this because for me right now, these can be testing areas right now. And I just need to be one that both facilitates joy, I listen to needs, and I ask the Lord to help me listen as well to Him. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's what we don't want. The Lord says that anger from His perspective is as murder from a lawful perspective. Don't want to kill people with harsh words that ultimately can bring forth anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge wisely. So we move to an enlightening contrast right now, and that is that there is a rightness to the words that are going to be used, and you're a wise person if you're careful with those words. I'm writing a document, actually typing a document. There's a new feature on my laptop. It's called Editor, and I'm getting 92% on writing a professional document. And so in my heart, I'm going, yay, I'm a professional writer. But you can go to other particular qualifications, professional writer, perfect writer. I think the other one is business writer. And the other one I think is casual writer. And so in the one area, I'm getting close to perfect. In the other areas, I'm failing miserably. You can see your percentages just go down. Well, why am I gauging high in this area, but I'm a loser in these other areas? Don't have an answer. It's not telling me why I'm a loser in these other areas. I have to figure that out. This idea, though, with the tongue, wisdom, as we are wise in how we use our tongues, Sometimes the feedback that we get requires exploration in terms of why isn't it working then? What is it that I'm saying that isn't working? And is it good enough to be a professional both in what I speak or write? Or is it good simply to be clear and balanced in all of those areas for all of the people? I don't know. The tongue, though, is being, again, continually emphasized here. And the wise person uses the tongue and does so by ministering knowledge, and it says rightly. In other words, we're not going to lie. We're going to tell the truth. The fool, it says, in the close of verse 2, just pours forth foolishness. 
And so that's kind of become a almost archaic word, foolishness, because our culture has learned to celebrate foolishness. The antics of people doing actually very stupid things or foolish things that could harm them or kill them are being published and they're turning into stars, you know, basically American idols. It's happening on a variety of platforms, usually in the social arena. And what's happening is that rather than people choosing to admire or emulate people that are wise, they're wanting to emulate people that are foolish. And so they're learning foolishness, they're being rewarded for foolishness. And so it is noteworthy that correction is due. Some of them will, by their foolishness, inherit a consequence, a lawful consequence. One of the ones that I cannot understand, just cannot understand it, is car surfing. Have you heard of that one? It's when a person gets on the car, on the top of the roof of the car, and they feign or pretend that they're surfing while it's going between 5, 10, or however fast they feel that they can hold that position. Guess what, obviously, we're finding out. They're becoming a part of the street pretty quickly. I don't know at what rate they can feel they can hold on, but all it takes is a fool behind the wheel that says, I'm going to accelerate now. I'm going to brake now. And all of a sudden, there's a friendship that's severed and very likely a friend that has been wounded by foolishness. So that is a concept right now. We want to be those who can speak to fools and correct them in wisdom. And guess what? It's generally not appreciated at all. In verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And represented in this is, is that God's not intrigued by evil. He is keeping an oversight of it as he keeps his sight on you. He holds it at bay in what he sees. He's able to orchestrate the termination of an event planned by someone that is evil and completely make it irrelevant to you. We are at times going to be, if you would, in the consequence of some evil deed or intention. It can happen. God allows that to play out as well in our life, both in the testing of our faith, our ability to endure, to be proven decent and honorable in spite of it. And so that's permitted. Humiliation, that can happen. But the eyes of the Lord, we need to remember, is upon us. And therefore, our eyes can be upon him in all manner of circumstances. We do have the prerogative of being able to change perhaps that circumstance. There are times in which the Lord would say, I've got my eye on this and I want you to have your eyes open on this. What do I do with your eyes and what you see and what your conscience is telling you? Flee. You mean like run? Yes, run. Run hard, run now. Don't look back. Because the Lord, I also believe, as the shepherd, is able to tell his sheep, scooch, run, run hard. 
I'm leading, I'm behind you guarding. And so that's an important concept is that the Lord hasn't abandoned us and that as his eyes are upon the evil, we need to understand that he's the one that can see the positioning of evil. Some may say, well, if that's true, then how could October 7th have happened in Gaza or, or not? Well, remember the casualties there is but a fraction of the populace. And that was heinous what was done by Hamas. And it's led to what we would call certainly a war against evil. And it's progressing. And we've talked about this before, but the language of evil was projected in an action against the innocence of others. Wouldn't even have suspected that in their communities, at what they were doing, they were vulnerable to being expunged, tortured, kidnapped. Terrible what's happened. But when God looks upon an event like that, he is also able to inspire a response. Because remember, when it happens to good people, God has not said, take that. He just says, trust in me and what it is is my allowance to combat that. Evil is not privileged to simply take over. There are lawful ordinances that govern us for civility. They're getting blamed, but militarily Israel is doing what any democratic nation who is fighting on behalf of the innocence of people ought to be doing. They aren't playing politics, but they are also not being ruthless. They're being very precise, very surgical, and their language is very honest. They're saying, we're not going to ever permit this to happen again, and we will not be brokered into compromising as God's people what has ultimately led to another, they call it a holocaust. And I believe in that moment they're right in what they've said. But the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord is not permissive to evil, but there can be an allowance that good might ultimately prevail. And towards these end times, God will not abandon his people Israel, period. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. So this is an encouragement. We want to have a tongue that is wholesome. When we think of the word, it, in my opinion, stimulates us to what a good meal represents, a wholesome meal. It has all of the qualities of ingredients that are healthy for us, that provoke an appreciation in what we both smell and see, the benefits of having it within us ultimately through dining, and so wholesome. It represents also a behavioral expectation. We like being a part of a wholesome gathering. We do not like being a part of a hedonistic gathering. Hedonistic means a carnal gathering, a selfish indulgence that can meet a 
several criterias that we would say, yeah, been there, done that, or seen it. We appreciate a wholesome gathering. We appreciate what it means to be rewarded by family. We are an eternal family. We appreciate what it means to be rewarded by our personal families. And so a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. So that means that we have the ability to actually take someone that might be just about dead because of all the stuff that they've heard and we can bring a restoration sap flowing through what might be their dead limbs, their mind that no longer can function. Something to consider. Because then it moves into this contrast, but perversiveness or perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And so that's as well a contrast. There are those who can speak wholesomely, but there are, if you would, at times in which perverseness comes out on their lips and it can break the spirit. So we can be those who hear wholesome language and be encouraged to live differently. And we can also be within the same moment violated by perverseness. We can be those who speak wholesomely and predominantly, but we can be in an instant of frustration or pain able to speak perversely. Doesn't necessarily mean that it is nasty language. There are some who in particular circumstances can take the name of the Lord in vain. And that from God's perspective would be a perverseness. He doesn't want his name taken in vain. Most of us have lived around or worked with people who carelessly use the name of the Lord in vain. That's perverseness. Verse 5 says that a fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. So this does tell us that fathers are responsible for correcting their kids. Doesn't mean that a mother isn't at all. But when you look at the dynamics within a home, a mother more strongly is the nurturing one within the dichotomy of the house. It's two people that with their strengths, they are united in the rearing of the child, but they do have differences of effectiveness. The man that is both leading is very often correcting and in a disposition that does what? Complement the nurturing. And the nurturing very often is also complemented by the correction. Christy is a great corrector. And I admire her in her motherhood. And she is, it's just different. I tend to be the lecturer and she seems to be able to get into the core of what is going on. I just see what did go on and I want it resolved and I move to correct it. She knows how to get into the heart. Now our kids are growing up right now. And so she doesn't have to per se 
worry about that because they've because they have been trained in correction that's just not a part of our gig anymore that now falls more on me <laughs> she keeps honing her skills on me now and so what i'm learning to do as well is to receive correction but this is actually a good word it means that correction also should be in a manner in which there's not the excuse to despise the father, but to be able to assimilate and to receive correction. So we used to teach our kids to be able to say, I'm sorry, and to say what they were sorry for, and to ask forgiveness. That was a three-step process to healing. We expected that. What are you sorry for? If it was just simply sorry, it was less meaningful. It was simply a phrase that, if you would, suspended judgment temporarily. But judgment needed to come, right? It always needs to come. The only way you get out of a judgment is the need to have a savior. On the practical part of what this is saying, it means that one of the means by which we appreciate God is by being like him in the context of both rendering instruction and hearing instruction from him, which comes from the word, and being able to be agreeable. I receive. It's a great phrase. I receive. Your compliment. I receive. Thank you. Your correction. I receive. One of the challenges that we have is that we resist as older people, correction. And anybody knows when there is correction made and it goes against, if you would, your submission, your ability to submit to it. That's usually an area in which pride's being tested. In my opinion, we're all vulnerable to it. But I think this is a great phrase I receive. Thank you for that. Didn't know that was a problem. Didn't know that I offended you. I'm now aware I'll do better. But sometimes to get that phrase out, you know, to be able to have that dialogue that returns to them what we expected from our kids. You're sorry. Good. What did you do? Mm-hmm. And I want to be forgiven. Right. That's good. That's a perfect fraction, three-thirds. You covered what's essential. And so as we move in our life and in our relationships, we need to remind ourselves what we taught our kids is actually very effective for us too. And so are we effective in that principle of making sure somebody knows that we received what it was they saw even if what they saw isn't what was intended, are we able to say for the sake of diplomacy and wholesomeness and a connection with God, thank you, I receive. I think it was a brute commercial. I've shared this before, but it was Joe Foreman and a variety of boxers that they began to hire for this commercial. I do think it was brute. And so the boxer would come out of his 
room and into the medicine cap cabinet mirror and he would open it up and he'd grab a bottle of brute open the cap splash it on his hand and go and smack himself so hard that he would knock himself over and then he would clamor to the sink and pull himself up and look at the mirror and he goes thanks i needed that he got the fragrance that he wanted but he got the correction that he needed and and I do think that the Lord, in principle, does that. You need some fragrance in your life. That's prayer. Now you need some correction. That's humility. And you clamor to look yourself in the mirror again, and you go, thanks. I needed that. You can check out the commercial. I think it was Joe Frazier, big world heavyweight champion, for a season, just for a season. So the fool despises his father's instructions. And so when we see kids that despise their father's instructions, their mother's effectual tutoring as well, we go, wow, that's going to be a hard life for that child when they become old enough to then need to make decisions. So we need to remind ourselves of that. It says that this correction is prudent. It's necessary. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. This is a treasury that you're a part of right now in the house of the righteous. There's much treasure. We can't possibly appreciate it unless really you talk things over with God and you evaluate properly the gifts that he's given to, the opportunities that both we've enjoyed and that are still ahead of us as long as we live and breathe. There's opportunities that we get to enjoy. By the way, I want to share with you, and I would share this with the men tomorrow, and I will. I, I finally was able to get a hold of Jim Johnson and Sharon, and they're not at home. They're in Grants Pass. And what some of you may not be aware of is that you know, he's been eating breakfast with the men for over five, six years here, and I'm thinking that he caught three to four of, of the years back at Seascape. So he's been dining with us every Friday. Strong brother, wonderful marriage, Gideon. And then we saw just something that happened <clears throat> that I wasn't really sure of. Breakfasts were becoming a little bit more difficult for him. But at any rate, to cut really quickly to this, he was diagnosed with throat cancer. And so I couldn't, you know, I'd dial him and it would go to voicemail. And finally, I got this quick call back from Sharon. And Sharon, this is Rich, Pastor Rich from Calvary Heritage. Hi, Rich. How are you guys? We're doing fine. We're doing great. Really? What's up? Where's Jim? He's right here. Can he talk? He can. And he will. He wants to talk to you right now. And the point that I'm making right now with regard to this is that he really treasures you guys. He actually fellowships on Sundays at the Baptist Church, but somehow there's this work that was deeply put into his heart 
and it's not saying anything that he doesn't he's he really is an equal opportunity in my opinion gifted and godly man but there's something that he has seen in this body that is translated to him linking with us and to be praying for us he sends actually offerings to us and he wanted me to say it's special who you guys are and so i prayed for him he's going through chemo he is anticipating there may be a little surgery necessary so it's chemo radiation he's getting mild dosages of both he's not able to eat per se right now but he was able to talk he has he had to go with a tube in, intubated into his stomach but his countenance was so amazing i'm telling you the reason being is he's assessed the treasure of God. He's not bemoaning the affliction that he has. Very likely it could be terminal. You don't hear that in his voice. He has correctly assessed the treasury that he has. He has a beautiful place that overlooks the ocean, ocean view, beautiful place. And here's what he said. I said, do you have anybody to watch every place? Oh, we've got some neighbors. It's probably going to fall apart. I said, is there anything you want us to do? No, no, no. We've got this cute little cottage right next to the hospital. A cute cottage next to the hospital in Grants Pass? Huh? Their place overlooking the ocean is glorious, beautiful. But it's a cute little cottage. It's a cute little cottage. We're doing great. Can I bring you anything? You can visit if you want to, but we have no needs. The Lord's with us. Just say hi to everybody. And so I just thought of that. I wanted to tell you that he's in love with the Lord. And as I closed in prayer, thinking that I was the punctuator of that evening, all of a sudden he moves into praying for me and for you guys. Eloquently. He outprayed me, actually. He stole every word that I wish I would have had in my vocabulary. He just completely trounced me, turned me into a little first grader and it's because he understands where the treasury is and ultimately the destination that he goes if that's the lord's will what a great guy he shared with me his way i said where are you right now on the way well i said okay where were you he's like 83 84 something like that so i'm going you're very inspiring to me. So just where are we at right now? Well, I'm about to 138 right now. I said, so is that working for you right now? Yeah, it's working for me right now. You know, I don't look quite as beefy as I once did, but it's working for me. I said, man, I need to be there. <laughs> so, well, Rich, I wouldn't wish you for that. Not the way that it's happening to me, but... I said, well, then may I eat a piece of bacon for you on, on Friday? Because that would be great. I'd appreciate if you would do that. So let me take a picture of myself. But the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. But in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. They don't get satisfied. They will not receive satisfaction. And the payout actually will be working negatively against them. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge but the heart of fools does not do so. So we need to be dispersing knowledge. Knowledge of what? 
well, there's things that you do, and that's fine, especially if it plays into the need of someone around you. You know, we have some families in here that have just knowledge, body system knowledge, um, nutritional knowledge, therapeutic knowledge, and it's fascinating to both listen to them and actually to enjoy the practicum of that knowledge. It's awesome when we have things that are relevant to where we're at. But we are to be those who disperse godly knowledge, and especially if it is for the purpose of edifying, building up someone. It's just marvelous. I marvel at guys that will dispense their knowledge of, for instance, motors, because every year when we're doing Galesville, there's something that the boat cries out for, and it's not me. It's somebody that has mechanical skills that can get the prop going, get everything that we need to have in the ready so that we're safely able to navigate on the lake. I don't have it. I'm watching at times 19 and 20 year old guys that have knowledge that is superior to their age. I don't know how they got it. I wish I got a portion of it, but they're great guys. I'm leaving some of it anonymous, but I know them. They're amazing. They've watched somebody or it's an endowment that God has given to them. It's an awesome gift. Awesome. If you had to be on an island, you'd want to be on an island to get off the island by having one of those guys. All I could be doing is praying. <laughs> I'm not sure if the Lord had let me off just by prayer. It takes some mechanics, Rich. I got a person for you on that. But the lips of the wise disperse knowledge. Verse 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. So the prayer, which is second mentioned in this, usurps what is first mentioned. And that means those guys seemingly that are what we would say offering sacrifices, they seemingly look good but are not linked with God but they're getting accolades as if they're worthy. The Lord takes a look at what we do and he says, prayer is where it's at and to me is what I am going to honor. And I love that. So don't stop praying. Don't get discouraged in your prayer life. Stay on top of it. The prayer of the upright is his delight. He takes delight in our prayers. Pray, 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 because it delights the Lord. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. So one of the basics. Were you tonight? Great. You're following righteousness. Oh, by the way, um, Ida and Rob are celebrating their second grandchild. Did you guys know that? Okay. <laughs> some of us do, some of us don't. That's Charles that's been born. And it's interesting because Ida and Rob, as we were leaving a couple, maybe maybe on Sunday or the Sunday before, we were praying that the baby wouldn't come out before full term. But little Charlie decided he was going to come out just a little bit before full term. But he is strong, healthy. Rob just said he got back. And Ida's right now just bringing relief to a tired set of parents 
Isn't that cool? With the gifting of being both a mom and one who now can help her kids, she gets to be able to enjoy the grandbabies. And so I was to be able to pass that along. Rob will be here tomorrow, but I was able to pass it along to you. Verse 10, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way and he who hates correction will die. I've shared it before. One of my favorite t-shirts is that the beatings will continue until morale improves. SeaWorld, whatever, 2001, Christy and I and the kids are all there. And that t-shirt was on somebody's back and it spoke to me like scripture. I just cracked up laughing. My attitude wasn't bad. It would have been had I been in the, well, you know, it could have been. It could have been because my family always wanted to sit in the splash zone. And I think Shamu got me wet. I think that is it. And the Lord just said to me, <laughs> you know, this is what you get. Until your morale improves, the beatings, the washings, the dunkings will continue. And so I laugh at that. Discipline is good for us. To be disciplined by the Lord is necessary. We're not to hate correction. It will have a spiritual death to us. It can lead to an untimely demise for us. Verse 11, hell and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men? It's just a parallel. Ultimately, he governs and controls. There's one way to be saved. It's through his son, Jesus both of these are what the Jews understood was a place that they did not want to go and they wanted to be saved by a God that they were choosing to follow. Though we know the nation looked forward to the cross, they missed the Messiah who came to be on that cross. That's a whole different predicament right now. But God did save multiplied generations of those who invested what faith they did have in his delivery. God accepted that. Abraham was saved by his belief in God. He didn't have at that time the knowledge of Jesus, but he accepted the terms of God for righteousness sake. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. And so this identifies it. The scoffer is an individual who will not accept correction and he will not seek wise counsel. That's a scoffer. So we have them at times, both in our vocation, we have them at times in the church. I believe the Lord continually works to change that. And then this last one, verse 13, is where we're going to stop right now. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Just an assessment. The broken heart here, it says, that would, what is what we would terminate it as, is a sorrow that's within the heart. And when there's sorrow within the heart, then the spirit can be affected. So what we want to do is find a means by which the heart can have revival by focusing not on perhaps the situation, the distress, but on the deliverer, God, how he can help us, what do we know about him in his faithfulness towards us. A merry heart, that's a discipline too. How will you change 
the situation of your heart? Will you continue to mull over things or will you say, I'm going to count my blessings. I'm going to exalt God with praise for what he's done and who he is. He's worthy of it. My situation may be tough and we have all come through tough situations, but he's worthy of being praised regardless. The song that I used to love because we were playing it for our kids was, I'm going to come up with, a cheerful heart is good medicine, good medicine, a cheerful, a joyful heart, a joyful heart is good medicine, a joyful heart is good, but a broken spirit dries up the bones, a broken spirit dries up the <laughs> but a joyful heart is good medicine. You always said to get out of it. 